Lord, we thank you so very much that you didn't leave us in this life just to scrap about, wander about, try to figure it all out on our own, but instead that you have God the Holy Spirit here with us now to help us as a guide in truth. Uh, Lord, sometimes when we interact with the scripture, it's difficult, it's hard to understand, and um, we struggle. And we need your help. I ask, Lord, would you please help us to understand what we read, to be changed by it, and to respond the way that you would like us to. I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to start in Luke, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you hit Luke, you went too far. I'm going to start in Mark chapter 11. On the traditional, and I will add European, church calendar, this is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is when we remember the passage that we are about to read. How convenient. Let's look at it together and what it actually meant. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Don't try that with a car this week. (laughs) The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David! Praise God in the highest heavens. What are they so excited about? So there had been a lot of build-up to this moment. And this is in Jerusalem, right? The the city of David. And there's a lot of culture and history and stuff going on that prophecies that had built up to this moment. Jesus' life, his ministry, his activities were causing a fuss. And he had been identified to be the Messiah, or a Hebrew believer would pronounce Yeshua, Yamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the sent one, the one that God sent to fulfill the covenants that we see, the agreements between God and his people in the Old Testament, the one that God had sent to fulfill those and to be the ultimate perfect Savior and sacrifice. That's what the fuss is about. And Jesus explains this a little bit more. Just turn a couple of pages to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and I want to read verses 12 through 26, and then I think it'll probably start to make sense why the configuration of our communion table is a little bit different today. Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. On the first day, Of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. 
follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve disciples. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And he took it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they drank They all drank from it, and he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is very meaningful annual festival for them, that was rich in meaning, in culture, in purpose, from hundreds and hundreds of years prior. And we today face a little bit of a challenge in that we don't understand this in the same way. It doesn't have the same meaning to us. We can only learn a little bit about it. And I want to just try to bring us into that moment um, And so this is not a typical Palm Sunday message, but most of you are used to that with me anyway. But what I want to do is bring us into this Passover meal moment with Jesus and try to help us get acclimated to the, to the meaning. This is hundreds and hundreds of years prior to Jesus walking the earth. Are they sharing this meal? And It's an annual festival. It was something that meant something to them. It was generation after generation, something that they, that they passed down. But I, I think that before we can enter the meaning of Passover, we need to talk a little bit about the problem. Okay? And, but to set the stage, what we're talking about this morning is Jesus, the Passover lamb. Jesus, the Passover lamb. So what is the problem? Why, why the blood? Why the sacrifice? Why? God, why so serious? Well, I'm glad that you are wondering that. Romans 6.23 puts it this way. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin. We've talked about that before. It's, it's one of those weird words. It's one of those things, like, I'd rather go to a church that doesn't use that word. Anyone? Right? We, let's just have the happy clappies and the, the fun, you know, warm, gooey stuff. Let's not talk about the other stuff. I spent a little time with an old friend, uh, this week, and they have, uh, a couple of, a couple of toddlers, a couple of little ones, 
and their firstborn son is just a big kid. All the other toddlers in his little preschool are like up to here on him. Literally. Like he's, he's just a big kid. And he's a nice kid. He's a gentle kid. But he learned real quick that because he was bigger than all the other kids, that if he wanted something, he could grab it. And you know where that leads, right? Tears, anger, chaos. So what do toddlers, toddlers like, I want, I need mine, right? And, you know, thankfully he's got good parents and a lot of other good adults around him and family that are going to help him learn that that's not always the best approach, right? Because at that point you become a bully and that's not attractive, Right? It doesn't lead to good, healthy friendships. Sin, this word sin, we get this idea from God of that which is out of order. There's an out of order sign on that particular condition from the inside of your heart. It's a, from a medical term, it's a disorder. Uh, your, your body is made up of different systems that work in concert with each other so that you don't have to think about breathing most of the time. Some of us have been sick lately, we had a lot of thinking about breathing. You don't have to think about different aspects of your life because your your body systems are working together in order. And when you get sick when, and, and disease can bring disorder, right? Am I making sense? That's what sin is. Sin is essentially like this relationship with God is kind of designed to be in harmony. It's designed to flow. It's designed to be good. It's designed to benefit you. It's designed to benefit others. And when the selfishness from the inside of us gets out of whack and affects things in the wrong way, that's where there is disorder in that relationship. Think about God and creating the universe, creating this earth, creating Adam and Eve and saying, you know, you can do anything. Here's some suggestions. You can do anything. Just don't eat the fruit of this one tree. That's how God starts out with just a single and arguably temporary prohibition. And yet Adam and Eve, right, our great-great-greats, maybe, they did the one thing God asked them not to do. And so sin enters the equation. That's a problem. And the closer a relationship you have with a person, the more that you will learn a biblical definition of this passage right here. And that is that sin brings death, or a, a, a God concept of death is separation. You ultimately, one day, your spirit will separate from your body, and, and sin brings separation into relationships, adultery, uh, theft, uh, wrongs that have been done, anger, violence, that brings separation in a relationship. And, and ultimately, it is not fire or tor- torture or physical pain that we would fear once we understand the hell. It is separation forever from God, the only true source of love, hope, peace, and joy. That disturbs me more than anything else. Separation. Sin brings separation. When your selfishness gets out of whack, it brings separation. And God, who started off so permissive, right there in the garden, Adam and Eve are suddenly aware of their nakedness and they feel shame. And that's where we see the first bloodshed. God kills an animal and makes them the first bit of leather clothing. It's an interesting choice. Long-lasting. 
I don't, uh, oh, I have a leather jacket. I do still. I'm trying to think if I had any leather clothing. So, from there, hundreds and hundreds of years have passed in God's relationship with humans. And as hundreds and hundreds of years have passed, God has had to say more than one time, many times in fact, because of your hard heart, I give you this rule. And so God has got come from a place of only one prohibition in his relationship with humanity to multiple prohibitions in his relationship with humanity because of their hardness of hearts. We fast forward and we see the relationship of Joseph with the Egyptians. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers, brought into Egypt. We don't have time to get into his whole life story today, but I want to talk about Passover and what it means. And if you want to open your Bibles to that section, it's Exodus chapter 12. So God used Joseph to help the Egyptians survive and thrive. He gave him the wisdom and the interpretation of dreams that would protect them from years of famine. God's people, the Israelites, grew in strength and in number. After some time, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, and God sent Moses to free the Israelites from this slavery. The Israelites have now been in Egypt 430 plus years. There's this back and forth between God and Pharaoh, God using supernatural plagues to try to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to free the Israelites and help pay for their expenses for their travel. In a final punishment of the vicious Egyptians and their worship of evil gods, Yahweh is about to send a plague of death to their firstborn sons and their livestock. The people who served Yahweh were instructed to sacrifice a young spotless lamb or goat in worship of God. They were to prepare a meal for a sacred a sacred purpose. They were to take the blood from the sacrifice of the animal and brush it on the top and the sides of the door frame of the front door of their homes. This blood was a sign of their obedience to God and sacrifice. Yahweh explained that when he saw the blood on their door frames, he would pass over their homes and punish the Egyptian homes instead. That night they would share the family meal, which included the meat from this sacrifice, a very simple meal, and unleavened bread. That's bread made without yeast, so it would not take as long to prepare. In fact, God had instructed them to prepare enough of this unleavened bread, this bread without yeast, so that they could feed their family for a week. They were instructed to share this meal, in fact, with their coats on, with their walking sticks in their hand. And that night, a plague of death came across Egypt. And Egyptian homes lost their firstborn sons and the firstborn of their livestock. And yet there was a peace among the Israelites' homes as God passed over their home. And death did not come to their home because of the blood of the Lamb. You can imagine, I thought it might be a little bit helpful today, It would have been possible that 
the head of the home might have put on a traditional prayer shawl like this one. Because this was a sacred meal. This was a meal where they're quoting Scripture. This is a meal where they're thinking about deliverance and freedom for more than 400 years in Egypt. From cruel slavery. They would have had woven into it, like you see here, the promises of God, the words of God. They would have had significance to the tassels, to the knots. There would have been a come to the table. Not for something fancy, something extravagant, but a meal that was simple where the the sacrifice of the animal was a part of the focus. There was this, we are covered, we are going to be made free because of the sacrifice that has been done for us. And, and don't get it twisted. God's not sadistic. God loves animals. God creates them with design. God, God cares. This sacrifice was, there was not a sacrifice of animals prior to sin. God allowed Balaam's donkey to talk. Let's just get, you need to have some questions in your theology. Are you with me? Right? God does not relish the bloodshed of animals. And most of us have never killed an animal. I have. It's not pretty. And, you know, I was raised in a hunting family, but a family that was very selective in what they would hunt and would only use the meat of what they would hunt. Even in, in fishing, and fish don't really have voices for the most part. Some of you know croakers, right? But for the most part, they don't have voices. And you, you kill a fish, and it's like, I'm taking a life. Taking a life it, to be part of this meal had meaning. And in particular, because of what was going on and what God had described that was going to take place, they were paying attention. Maybe in that home, whoever normally prepared the meal might do it in such a way so that the kids, other family members did not see the blood. But in this case, God had commanded them to brush the blood across the top and down the sides of the, the door frame on the, the front door of their house. There was a meaning to this sacrifice here. Because sin brings death. Because a price must be paid for there to be purity, for there to be a healing to relationship, a restoring of relationship, a removal of guilt. It must be a sacrifice. So God, if you notice, if you track the stories of Scripture, God is specific and God cares about logistics. He cares about the practical stuff and so we also have this unleavened bread and God giving them preparation for sustenance for being on the move. They're about to get on the move. To be freedom from, free from captivity. To be free from this slavery. From that point on, the Israelites were to spend a week during the first month of their annual calendar. And in fact, if you read the story, God reorients their calendar. He says, from now on, this is the first month of your year. They were to spend a week during the first month of their annual calendar celebrating this Passover. 
They were to dedicate their firstborn children to the Lord. They were to sacrifice a Passover lamb and eat unleavened bread for that week. Every year, a week of eating unleavened bread. Now, I'm sure there were a lot of Hebrew children that were not hip to that. You understand what I'm saying? They would rather have the good stuff. And so they would ask questions. Yahweh instructed them to explain this festival to their children generation after generation by describing how God had delivered them from slavery with these words. With the power of His mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn males are always brought back. See, this celebration was to be a constant reminder of how Yahweh brought them from to freedom from slavery. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 says this, God speaking to them, This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all of time. God wants them to be reminded of their deliverance. So I don't know. Yeshua, Yamashiach, comes Jerusalem to the Passover table. I don't know if he puts on something like this. It would have been a common thing to do as a, as a sign of we're going to have a moment here that's just about God. It's not what we think about sports or life or this is not a moment where we complain because whoa, that was a huge lesson that they learned. This is not a moment where we come in to just talk about the other stuff. This is a moment where God and only God is what matters. This is a moment where we interact with God. And that's why they would change. That's where we get the custom of dressing differently when we come to worship. It's not supposed to be a sign of our status and to make other people feel less than. It's supposed to be, I give the best of my week, of my time and my energy to the Lord because it is a sacred moment. Okay, I know this is distracting. Hopefully it was helpful. So, Jesus, our Passover lamb. Pastor Ben, where are you getting this? Okay, I'm, I'm glad you are wondering. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture together. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7-8 through 8 say this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. There are many ways to celebrate the Lord's table. A love feast that is happy and excited, and the followers of Jesus, the ones who saw his eyes and heard his voice, it was a happy festival where they believed that Jesus in his body, even though they couldn't see him, would walk among them when they when they came to this meal. That's a part of what's being discussed here. We also see John the Baptist prophesying about the Messiah when he sees Jesus physically. This is the words that he says, look! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Jesus, our Passover lamb. It is how prior to his death, his burial, his resurrection, prior to his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, this is how Jesus was identified in person, within their hearing. This is how he was identified. Peter, who was there at that moment, describes it like this. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you had inherited from your ancestors. Come on, how many, some of you know that our grandpas and grandpas did not pass on to us something that is greater than? Some not even great. Right? So Peter is saying, And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. It's how John, also his follower, saw him in the revelation. The Lamb of God. Lift a little bit out of, out of Hebrews now, which would have had meaning because it was written to the, those that were believers of Jesus but grew up doing Hebrew school. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings. All of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. This help is not just come to some Christian church so that you can feel better about yourself, or come to try to prove that you are a better person. No, this is a very specific doorway that we enter through, and it is the doorway of Jesus himself and his sacrifice that was necessary because of your sin. Because of your stuff. I'm going to read a little more from Hebrews since we're doing good and understanding uh, the meaning behind this. We go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verses 11 through 15. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciousness from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins they had committed under that first covenant. Now this makes the words of Christ more meaningful. 
So now let's go back to Mark 14 and hear again the words of Jesus at this Passover meal. Mark chapter 14 and verse 22. As they were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the new kingdom of God. They sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. We used to, uh, my home church, we used to reenact this moment. And I was a part of that reenactment a number of times. And when we would get to that place to reenact Jesus and his followers walking from that room out to the Mount of Olives, we would sing a song. And it's very important because the Mount of Olives, that name actually refers to crushing. Because in order to get olive oil, you have to crush the olives. And when Jesus prayed in the Mount of Olives prior to his death, Jesus knew there was a crushing that was about to happen in his body. And he was experiencing a crushing in his spirit. And we used to, in reenacting this walk with Jesus and his followers from the room to the garden, we used to sing, Peace I give to you, peace I bring to you. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Peace I bring to you, peace I give to you. Shalom, shalom, shalom. This is a holy moment. We're going to come to the table and we're going to share the table with this Passover meal meaning to help us in this holy week as we go to next Sunday, Easter, to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But before we go to the table, I want to just very briefly talk about our response. It is so important to the Lord Jesus, who is thinking right now, who is feeling right now, who is praying for you to the Father right now. It is so important to Jesus that you don't walk away unchanged, or feeling like you are too far from God to interact with this. No. Jesus calls to you today that you would receive. That you would receive the love of God. And that you would respond. That you would respond as He suggested, as He Himself said so many times over, repent. Turn away from Your past from the way that you used to live. Turn away from selfishness. Turn away from your disorder. Turn away from that sin. Turn away from living to please yourself more than living to please God. Repent and believe that Jesus is the way to salvation. That Jesus is the way to peace on this earth and peace in the world that is beyond. Receive Respond, repent, believe.
May we go out from this place today and live out our thank you to God for this truth. And in that way, we find it's possible to live like Jesus and to share His love. I'm going to just stop the recording and we're going to spend a little bit of time in communion.